Hey guys, good to see you this morning. Um, so uh, Brad was talking about basketball a little bit. I thought, uh, you know, in light of March Madness, I'd start off a little trivia for you about uh, March Madness. I uh, discovered this week that in 1993, the record for the most consecutive free throws was set by an individual. This guy uh, shot consecutively without missing 2,750 free throws. Can you imagine? I know some coaches that would be really happy if they could get guys to make two free throws in a row, uh, let alone 2,700. His name was Tom Amberry. And I hear two interesting facts about Tom. Number one, the only reason that he stopped at 2,750 was they were closing down the gym for the night, turning out the lights, and they made him leave. Yeah, second thing about him, uh, this record that he held for three years, when he set it, he was 72 years old. And he shot 2,750 free throws in a row. Pretty amazing, isn't it? He was asked what the secret of his success was. He said it was two things, focus and concentration. And you know what? That's true for any basketball player. When it comes to shooting, when it comes to making free throws, it's about practice and it's about focus and concentration. That's why when you watch a college basketball game and uh, you see the students sitting underneath the basket, and what do they do when the guys are shooting free throws? You know, they wave and make all kinds of funny things. Uh, the latest thing seems to be this year, have you noticed, uh, they have these like huge cutouts of pictures of celebrities' heads and they wave these behind the basket, all trying to distract the guy that's shooting the free throws to help him to lose focus and attention. Well, listen to what the Bible has to say to us about focus and concentration. It says this in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, that would be us, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Focus, concentrate on Jesus. And so that's exactly what we're going to try to do. In the weeks leading up from now until Easter, we're going to focus in on Jesus. We're going to focus in on the incredible Christ. Now, there are a lot of things in our lives that compete for our attention. And uh, there is always a rowdy Satan, you know, who's over there in the corner waving at us, trying to distract us. And for the next few weeks, I just want to challenge us to really focus and concentrate to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Now, to do this, we're going to uh, explore a pretty challenging book in the Bible called Hebrews. And uh, this book, uh, like no other, really exalts and magnifies Jesus Christ. And we don't know who the author of Hebrews is, but we do know that it was written to some Jewish Christians. And these people knew the Old Testament incredibly well, and there was something else interesting about them. They were, even though they knew Jesus, they were tending to revert back to their old practices of ritualism and tradition, and they were kind of leaving behind their relationship with Jesus. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews writes to them and says, hey, it's time to to focus, it's time to concentrate, it's time to fix your thoughts on Jesus who is the Supreme One. Quit losing focus. And here's an image of Jesus for you to see. And I want to do the same thing for us over the next few weeks. I want to look at these images of Jesus that are portrayed for us in Hebrews and say to all of us, let's focus, let's concentrate on Jesus. Um, this is, uh, Brad uh, shared this with me. This is, uh, everybody kind of probably really can't see this, a sonogram and, uh, of one of Brad's kids. He told me when he gave it, I'm not sure which child it is, but uh, I think my, he might be in trouble for that. So, uh, he, and this is an amazing thing, isn't it? You know, when a, when a mom is pregnant and you go to the doctor and it's that time that you're going to see that first image of your baby. I mean, that's so exciting. I, I received a, a text this week from a friend of our family that's uh, expecting a baby, and it was a text of her sonogram. You know, and so exciting to see uh, that image 
Peg and I had the privilege a couple of years ago, we were invited by uh, some friends of ours who go to Crosspoint here to go to their 4D sonogram uh, kind of thing. And we're excited, you know, we went, we go into this room and uh, they're like serving popcorn, if I remember right, which that seemed a little strange to me, you know. And uh, the mom's over here behind a screen and we all sit down on these like theater kind of chairs or something and uh, then they're up there on the screen. Is that 4D image of the baby, you know, so exciting. I remember when Peg was expecting our boys that we would, uh, I, you know, I would get down by her tummy and talk to them uh, in anticipation. I couldn't see them face to face, but I knew they were coming and I had these images, uh, you know, of what they were looking like as they were growing older. Well, in, in, a, in a sense, in a, in a loose sense, the book of Hebrews is like a sonogram because it gives us some images of Jesus Christ. Now, we can't see Him face to face. The Bible says there will come that day when all of us, uh, through our faith, we'll have sight. We'll get to see Him face to face. But right now, we have these images of Jesus. And uh, the book of Hebrews paints some incredible pictures of who He is for our lives. And I want to look at these images. I want to start today by looking at the first image. And this first image of Jesus reveals His supremacy. That He is supreme above all other things. He is, it is the supremacy of Christ. And I want us to look at that today. I think it will sort of uh, put into perspective all of the other images of Jesus that we're going to look at over the, the next several weeks as we move towards Easter. So uh, if you brought your Bible or if you use your uh, phone for your Bible or an iPad or however it is that you're reading the Bible these days, I want you to take that out right now and I want you to find your way to the book of Hebrews. And we're going to look at chapter 1 uh, today, the whole uh, chapter 1. So, uh, and, you know, I hope you'll find your way there. If you don't know where that's at exactly, um, it's after little books called First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, and then you kind of come to the big book of Hebrews. Um, if you get to James and Revelation, some other books like that, you've gone too far. Find where it is, uh, mark it so that every week uh, during this series you can open right up to that and uh, track along with us as we go through this. Hebrews uh, chapter 1, we're going to start right in verse 1 and look at this first image of Jesus. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Now, first I want, I want you to notice this. Remember we're talking about this letter being written to Jewish Christians who knew all about the past but had this tendency to sort of revert to their old rituals and traditions. And he says, yeah, you know what, the, the prophets spoke to you in the past, but, listen to verse 2, but in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things and through whom He made the universe. So God has... It's not just these piecemeal words of the prophets that they have from the past, which painted a picture of God, but it wasn't a very complete picture. He said, now you not only have the words of the prophets, you have the Son. And you have the Son who is the radiance of God's glory. You know, what happens when you try to look at the sun? I mean, you can't look at the sun without injuring your eyes, can you? And, and the Old Testament paints this picture that the radiance of God's glory is even greater than that. And yet he says, now you have Jesus who you can see. Verse 3, or, or second part of verse 3, After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so we have this picture of Jesus and He's writing all these things to the Jewish Christians saying, you know what, you guys keep looking to the past. You want to settle for something that is second best. Why would you settle for something that is second best when you now have something that is so much better? Why would you settle 
when you can have the best, you can have Jesus. And then He begins to give us some reasons why in our lives we should give, devote our deepest worship, our deepest devotion to Jesus Christ. And the first reason shows up in verse 4. So he became as superior to the angels as the name he had inherited is superior to theirs. Here's the first reason that Jesus deserves our deepest devotion, our deepest worship. It's because he has the greatest name. He has the greatest name. Now, this, this stuff about angels that we read here in verse 4, and we're going to see some other things about angels in the verses that follow, I think it's kind of lost on us. Because we don't know a lot about angels. We don't. We don't study them much, maybe. Uh, we're just not clear. In fact, for some of us, you know, our picture of an angel is uh, what we've seen in some commercials or movies. You know, for, for some of you, maybe your picture of angels is kind of warped. You, you, your only picture is, uh, you know, that character that John Travolta played in the movie Michael, the chain-smoking angel, you know. And well, that's, that's a pretty warped view of, image, of angels. I hope your image is not um, the current commercial that I've just seen these last two or three days uh, advertising Axe products. Um, it's a horrible picture of angels. A horrible picture. Uh, how many of you uh, watched the show uh, Touched by an Angel when that was on a few years ago? Quite a few years ago. Yeah, a lot of us, we admit that. We also are admitting our age by admitting that. But, uh, you know, maybe that's, that's your image of angels. We have a, a wide range of probably images that just aren't all of that, a- that accurate. But to these Jewish Christians, angels were really significant. Angels were very, very important to them. And so for the writer of Hebrews to write and say that the name of Jesus is greater than the angels, that was a big deal. That was really challenging to them. You see, Jewish tradition has that in the Old Testament when Moses received the the Ten Commandments and the law on Mount Sinai, Jewish tradition says that it was the angels who delivered the law to Moses. And the law was very, very significant to them. The law for them was the center of their life and their culture. They held it in incredibly high esteem. And so the idea that an angel delivered the law to Moses put the angels on a very high pedestal. They were highly respected. And into that culture, then, the writer of Hebrews says, I know that you exalt angels, but I want you to understand the name of Jesus is above any angel. And I don't know what we might put on a pedestal today, but the writer of Hebrews would write to us and say, there is no name that is greater in our lives than the name of Jesus. He goes on to say this in verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. The writer quotes from the Old Testament where God says to Jesus, You are my son. And you know the name that is greater than any name, the name that is above all names, is the name of the Son. When God named Jesus as His Son, when God called Jesus His Son, that placed Jesus above every other being. He is the Son of God. And by being the Son of God, it elevated His name, His glory, His status, It elevated Jesus above everything. He has the greatest name. Now, in verses 6 and 7, we find a second reason why we should devote our deepest worship to Jesus. It says this in verse 6. And again, 
When God brings His firstborn into the world, He says, let all of God's angels worship Him. In speaking of the angels, He says, He makes His angels winds, His servants flames of fire. He's talking about the creative power of Jesus. And in verses 6 and 7, He says that Jesus has the greatest authority. You know, we, we value authority, don't we? And uh, we value sometimes the authority that certain powers on earth have. But the writer of Hebrews says there is no power. There is no power that has greater authority than the power of Jesus. In fact, he says that the angels, all beings, will bow to Jesus. When Jesus comes again, he says the angels will bow just as they bowed when Jesus came the first time as a baby in a manger. And we know the Christmas story, right? When Jesus was born as a baby in a manger, the angels gathered and they worshipped Him. The Bible says that the angels, even today, right now, are gathered around the throne of Jesus and they are worshipping Him. They are crying out over and over and over again, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is the authority that is above all authorities. And we bow down to Him. Then he says this in verse 8. But about the Son, He says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Now, I want you to notice something here. The writer of Hebrews is quoting words of God from the Old Testament. And so God here is speaking about Jesus. And do you catch that God calls Jesus God? He's the greatest authority. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and your righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He's saying that the, the authority of Jesus, the throne of Jesus, will go on forever and ever and ever and ever. There is no end to the rule and the authority of Jesus Christ. And notice what he says in verse 10. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, You laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of Your hands. They will perish, but You remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment they will be changed, but You remain the same. And Your years will never end. Another reason that Jesus is the greatest authority is that He is the Creator. He laid the foundations of the earth, the writer says in verse 10. If you were awake early this morning or late last night, you saw the moon, which is closer to the earth right now than it has been in like 25 years. It's an incredible sight. Or maybe you were up like our setup teams this morning early enough to see the sun rise. That sun rising, that incredible moon, that is the handiwork of Jesus. Peg and I were out for a walk uh, one night this week, one evening, just as the sun was uh, starting to set. And there is a house uh, just down the street from us that we think has like the perfect location. It sits at the intersection of two canals. And uh, we could look between the houses and uh, this is, it resembled this picture. This isn't actually a picture of it. But you could see as you look between the houses, the sun was just starting to set and the light of the sun was glistening across the canal. That's the handiwork of Jesus. Uh, sonogram, you know, and the one that I received as a text today, uh, this week. 
The Bible says that Jesus is the one that is knitting together that baby in its mother's womb. That is the handiwork of Jesus. I, I read this week some uh, interesting statistics about how to sort of measure the distance of the sun. If we said that the, the distance of the earth to the sun, 92 million miles, was represented by the thickness of one sheet of paper, then we would have to say that the distance from the, the earth to the other stars is the distance the same as seven feet of sheets of paper stacked up. And if we use that same scale and we measure the distance of the earth to the end of just our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, our little home here, you would have to stack papers 300 miles high to represent that distance. And all of that expanse, all of that beauty, all of that that is beyond our comprehension to even fully take in is the handiwork of Jesus. He is the greatest authority. There's one more. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the one who holds the world together. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says this, For through Him, through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Him and for Him. He existed before anything else, and He holds all creation together. Jesus is holding creation together through the Word, through the power of His Word. It's like saying with His little pinky, He is holding the world together. He is the greatest authority. Now let me ask you, a person like that, do you invite them into your life just to be your personal assistant? I don't think so. An authority like that, you invite them into your life so that you can give them your deepest devotion and deepest worship. So that you can put them first. There's one more reason that the writer in Hebrews says that Jesus deserves our deepest worship. It's in verse 13. The writer says, To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Do you know who God did say that to? He said it to Jesus. And another reason that Jesus deserves our deepest worship is because He has the greatest position. He is sitting at the right hand of God. There's very significant, there's great significance to the fact that He is seated in heaven. Being seated in heaven signifies that His work has been completed. He has completed the sacrifice that He needed to make so that the, satis- the, the wrath of God could be satisfied because of our sin. He has completed His work of purifying us from our sins that it talks about in verse 3. He has completed His work because He has conquered sin, death, and the grave. His work is finished and so He is seated at the right hand of God. We know a lot about the temple because you can read a lot of details in the Old Testament about how this building... Uh, was constructed a huge building. In today's dollars, it would be a multi-billion dollar building. And we know a lot of details about it, including the fact that there were no seats in the temple other than there was one throne, the throne of God, situated in the Holy of Holies on which no one was ever to sit. But there were no other seats because the work of the priest who functioned in the temple was never completed. 
they had to continually offer sacrifices to cover the sins of men and women because men and women continued to sin. And it wasn't until Jesus came and made the ultimate sacrifice by dying on the cross that the work of covering our sins, of paying the debt for our sins, was complete. And so in the temple, the work of the priest, as we'll see in coming weeks, went on and on and on again until Jesus came. And Jesus ultimately completed the work. And now He is seated at the right hand of God. He is the greatest authority. Now here's the question maybe you're asking. Well, Jeff, that's all great. But what does that have to do with my life? I mean, that's great. It sounds real theological. But it doesn't seem very relevant to my life. I think that question is answered as the writer moves into chapter 2. Verse 1, he says this, We must pay more careful attention to the things he's just talked about. Therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. He says, unless we pay careful attention to the fact that Jesus is above everything, that Jesus is supreme, that He is the supreme authority, has the supreme position, has the greatest name, unless we pay attention to that in our lives, did you see what he says happens? We, we drift away. We drift away and we put other things first in our lives. And he says this in verse 2. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, in other words, the, the law that they brought to Moses, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, now which is what happened. People were deserving of being punished for breaking the law. How shall we escape it if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, the salvation of Jesus, which was first announced by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. He said, you, you can keep focusing on trying to obey the law and the punishment that comes when we don't keep the law. Or you can focus on the salvation that Jesus brought for every one of us. And here's the significant thing about this. In the first part of that, in verse 1, he says that we need to pay more careful attention. And our tendency probably as we read that is to kind of gloss over those words. And we don't take those words nearly as strongly as the original language indicates. Because when you go back and look at the words, more careful attention, you realize when those are translated, the accurate translation of those words would be a furious obsession. A furious obsession. The writer of Hebrews says that our attitude toward Jesus, our pursuit of Jesus, our worship of Jesus ought to be a furious obsession in our lives. Not something we just pay attention to occasionally. A furious obsession. And so I try to think this week, what, what would be some things that would help illustrate that? What would be some things that would help us to understand the kind of passion that God wants us to have for Jesus? And everything I come up with falls a little bit short, but here, here are a few ideas. I was thinking about last weekend uh, when we learned that, uh, about the tragedy that happened in Japan. And for, especially for people who had new people in Japan or who had relatives there, they couldn't get enough information. I mean, they were locked into watching the news. They were searching you know, on the Internet and Facebook trying to see if they had messages from their relatives. They couldn't get enough. They needed more and more. They wanted to know 
Is everybody okay? And I hope that like myself, you have been praying for the people of Japan and that you'll keep praying for them and that God will work through this horrible situation. Or maybe a better illustration for us is thinking back to 9-11. And in the days that followed that horrendous act that happened against our nation, most Americans, I mean, we couldn't get enough information, could we? We were glued to the television because our hearts were broken and we were, we were panicked and worried about what else might happen. And, and we were glued to the TV. We wanted, we wanted to know more. Maybe a more lighthearted illustration would be uh, the whole basketball thing, the March Madness. You know, for a lot of people, I start to say a lot of guys, but I think it's a lot of people, uh, you know, they're really into this. You know, they've got their brackets all filled out and they're watching every game to, to see who wins. You know, I'm doing that with my boys. We've got our own little contest going on and I'm in a couple other bracket things, kind of paying attention to what's happening, not doing so well, but that's okay. You know, and I know there are people who have like multiple TVs set up because they want to see every game and watch everything that happens. And they're staying up late at night, which I have to, you know, to catch the games and know who wins. I said to my son, because I had to go to bed on Saturday night early, he was going to stay up for one more game. I said, leave me a note in the morning so I know who wins, you know. People don't want to leave their houses when their team's playing like 5 o'clock today. Um, You know, we're obsessed with it. You know what, all that's kind of fun and lighthearted and we sort of understand that. But to an even far greater extent, the writer of Hebrews says, I want you to have a passionate obsession, a furious obsession about Jesus. I want you to be at a point in your life where you can never get enough, that you're always wanting to know more about Him, you're always wanting to know Him more deeply, that you just can never satisfy your desire for Him. In fact, the writer of Hebrews would say that Jesus ought to get the first place in line in our lives and everything else in our lives should fall in behind Jesus Christ. But I wonder if you were to examine your life over the last seven days, could you honestly say that Jesus has been first in line and that everything else in life has fallen in behind Him? Or are there some other things that you have allowed to slide in front of Him? that you've made more important. See, Jesus is the supreme being. Jesus is above everything else. And He desires and He deserves our deepest pursuit, our deepest passion, our deepest worship, our deepest and most furious obsession. That's what Jesus deserves. And that's what He desires. And as we continue to study some other images of Jesus, I am praying that it will grow in our hearts to understand why would we put anything else first in our lives above the incredible Christ. Would you pray with me? God, I thank You for Jesus. He is to be above everything. He is worthy of my worship, worthy of my attention. God, would You grow our hearts and our understanding of who Jesus is in the weeks to come. God, would You help us to passionately pursue Him above everything else in our lives. God, I thank You for who Jesus is. We love Him. We want more of Him in our lives. Give us that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.